0: Hi, it's Mira Davis, and before we get the show started, we wanted to let you know that this was recorded before we learned of the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and obviously our worlds are rocked by this, and there's so much to discuss moving forward. Rest in peace to a truly remarkable woman.
1: And this is Jen. For me, Ruth Bader Ginsburg represented what was possible. She was so small in stature, but she was so strong and had a fierce intellect and a wicked sense of humor. For any of us who have ever had someone make us feel less than, the notorious RBG was everything. For Ruth, for our daughters, for our sons, let's vote this November like we have never voted before. And to quote a friend of mine, may her memory be for a revolution. It will certainly be a blessing. Godspeed, Justice Ginsburg.
0: Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, good things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, radio and TV host, media consultant, talent booker, and political enthusiast.
1: And I'm Jen Jordan. Today, I'm an attorney, a dog mom, a suburban housewife, and a state senator. Senator Jen
0: We are going to talk about Suburban Housewives a little bit later today. I love it. First, there's been a lot of news about voting this week. Like, crazy news. Let's get started with what's happening right here in Georgia. I mean, we talked about last week Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, the double voting, the issues with that, the absentee ballots. People are starting to get them. I haven't gotten mine yet.
1: Well, so they're supposed to go out September 18th formally, but what's crazy is that approximately 1.2 million people have already requested absentee ballots in Georgia, um, which is basically the equivalent of how many people voted in the primary. So I cannot even imagine kind of where we're going to be once it's all said and done. Yeah. So I'm
0: waiting patiently for that. We've also had a couple of announcements. Let's get started with, there was a a period of about 24 hours last week where the University of Georgia was national news because number one, of course, we've got football coming back and then We've announced that the Big Ten football is coming back, so everybody's all excited for college football. But what was interesting is that UGA basically said, yep, football's going on, but voting,
1: eh. Well, what was crazy about it is they had already had Rush. They announced football. I mean, there have been pictures um, and video of students in bars in Athens, and then all of a sudden, you know, the University of Georgia says, oh, sorry, we can't do an early voting site because – you know, COVID. And it's like, come on.
0: I really had such great um, confusion about that, Jen, mostly because I wonder who's like in the innards of management of UGA to put these statements out on social media that were really kind of, I'm, I'm going to say it, they were like really dickish. You know, you've got to ride a bus, and I know you're comparing it to football. I mean, I could pull it up and read it aloud, but I'm like, seriously? And there was outrage about this on both sides of the aisle. People were very upset about this.
1: Well, look, at the end of the day, it's it's one of those things where, well, probably the most interesting thing is how quickly the news changed with respect to this. You know, you had the first statement that went out that wasn't the nicest statement, as you indicated. <laughs> A little dickish. <laughs> and then the second one kind of pulled it back a little and said well maybe we'll try to find something and then by the time we get you know to 24 hours in terms of the news cycle all of a sudden the university of georgia is happy to have an early vote site so look let's celebrate it because obviously the internet social media twitter wins again
0: it did work michael stipe wrote an editorial in the guardian which was really great and his whole take On Athens, Georgia, though, Jen, is that basically the city of Athens is a great city, but when school comes back into term, it is messing with the health of the residents that live there. People in the county can't go to school. They're all virtual. They were one of the earliest cities to do the mask mandate. And now all of a sudden, you've got college back, and it is party time in Athens. Although I now call New York City and Berlin home. Athens, Georgia has been a base to me since the late 1970s. It's where I started REM and it's a place that I've returned to again and again, even as I've traveled and lived in other places around the globe. Sadly, Athens, also home to the University of Georgia, is now a place that exemplifies the most dangerous aspects of public policy decision-making amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm reading from an article, an essay that I've written for The Guardian. It's released tomorrow on Thursday. Please check it out.
1: Thank you. And that's also one of the biggest issues that's come out of Athens is the fact that you had kind of the local governmental officials try to close bars down at like nine o'clock, right? Because what do we know? If people aren't wearing masks and they're headed to bars, we've got incredible spread when it comes to the virus. But they were almost immediately sued. And, you know, they had to enter into a settlement where, okay, well, they can stay open to eleven. But we know college students, if they're in bars, they're not wearing masks and they're drinking, you know, that's just a super spreader event right there. So I
0: have a theory. I don't have any evidence of this, but I think we are not getting the full picture of who's sick, what the numbers are in Athens, what's really happening in Athens. I think it's not just Athens. It's a lot of the schools. I mean, What was it? That coach of LSU was like, yeah, everybody tested for COVID. And they're like, "Mm, (laughs) maybe you don't want to say that.
1: No, we've seen stuff on, you know, I've seen pictures where it's like everybody in the sorority house, you know, has tested positive for COVID. But at least we didn't go to Auburn. I mean, it's this kind of thing where you're just like, are you frigging kidding me? Like, how can that, you know, come on. Right.
0: So we know there's some foolery when it comes to colleges and what's happening in the pandemic, but I really want to get back to voting for a minute, Jen, as far as college students. Now everybody was in this uproar about UGA and they didn't make it easy for students to vote early. Now they have said, okay, we're opening up this Coliseum to do it. But my question is, are students really going to do it?
1: Well, first off, let's kind of step back a second and say if they are, what a lot of students don't realize is that in order to vote at the early vote site in Athens, right, you have to be registered at your school address um, because that would be the county of your residency. If you are still registered at your mom and dad's house, you know, back in Atlanta or in South Georgia or wherever, you can show up to Stegman Coliseum to early vote and they're going to turn you down. So what I would say is, and my guess is we don't have a lot of college students listening to us, but to the moms of these college students. We can always hope, Jen. We can. We can really I hope. I mean,
0: we've had, you know, a good, we've got, we got two <laughs> emails last week. So, you know, progress is happening.
1: Well, it's one of those things where, look, if you want to vote in Athens, which is probably the safest thing to do, and, and, you know, first off, change your registration to Athens. If you don't want to do that, make sure that you get your absentee ballot. For either, just go to mvp.sos.ga.gov. You can change your registration. You can ask for your absentee ballot, whatever you want, but just make sure you vote. Right. And I have
0: to wonder about college students, because I know there are a lot of woke college students, a lot of college students that say they're going to be active. A lot of college students aren't bothering to educate themselves. Look, when I was in college, I didn't vote. I wasn't involved in politics. I do think we're in a different culture now where it's more, it's like part of the zeitgeist, you know, is what's happening. But I question young people and whether they're really going to do it.
1: Well, I think that this election may be a test of that, right? This is probably the most significant election I know in my lifetime. And I think a lot of young people feel that and know that. And so let's see if they turn out. Because if you know it's that important and you don't turn out, then, you know.
0: Right. It's a tough thing. Like, March for Our Lives. I went to the march. I was very moved by that. I was moved by all the Parkland students who got out there, tried to make change, try to learn about policy, how to call your congressman or your senator to do things to make change. But will they really do it if they're going if they were told they have to wear a mask and it lay low during the pandemic and we're partying down in college?
1: Well, you know, look, I, there was a recent poll Because I know we've seen a lot of pictures of college students going back to school and, and having a good time. But a recent poll indicated that, that young people really do take masks very seriously, um, social distancing very seriously, and not wanting to spread it. So, you know, just because we've seen some folks out there who may not be making the best decisions, I don't think that's all the young people. Okay. So I put on my Twitter saying that I think this whole kerfuffle is going to put a hex
0: on the Bulldog football team.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> you can't say stuff like that, Mara. <laughs> yes.
0: My husband will probably be mad at me because he went to Georgia, so um, I didn't go there, so I don't have any loyal – I I, want to root for them just because I know it makes people happy, and then people brought it to my attention, like, you live right near Georgia Tech, so root for Georgia Tech instead.
1: Well, that that is an alternative. Okay, it may not be the best one, but all
0: right. Well, we're gonna see what happens. Students, please reach out to us. Uh, it's voterpodcast at gmail dot com. If you're planning on vo- voting, I would love to get a, you know the college students' perspective on this. That maybe somebody we could have on as a guest. I mean, obviously, we can't have one person who's represent running all the you know student body, but I would love to take a pulse on what students are feeling.
1: Right. And what they're observing because sometimes the PR spin on things is really not the reality.
0: Well, moving on to the next body of voters that is suburban women. So suburban women is a real buzzword. We're hearing a lot of Jen, as far as these are the people that are going to move the needle in this election What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it's true. Um, And I do think that there, we've seen a little bit of movement in the polls kind of going back and forth. I think the biggest um, body of suburban women that are at play in this election are women that are former Republicans or who traditionally vote Republican and view themselves as conservative in some way. And so those are going to be the women to really kind of keep your eyes on in terms of which way they go. So I've been seeing a lot of, these focus groups
0: and we're going to play some audio of some of the women. And I feel like there are two camps when it comes to Republicans. And we actually have a guest coming on who's going to speak more to that, but I think there's some of these women when it comes to Trump, it doesn't matter. I mean, they don't, they, they like it. They're going to overlook it. They also, and I hate saying this, but they want to be in line with what their husband's doing then there are the women who they just can't live with themselves. They voted for Trump in 2016. They're feeling a lot of guilt and shame, and they want to burn it all down. Then there's the camp of the women who they're gonna not they're gonna vote for Biden, but they're gonna be very quiet about it.
1: Well, and then they may not vote for any other Democrats. So a lot of folks talk about kind of a blue wave coming. Um, that may or may not happen. But even if Biden pulls it out, right, pretty significantly even, that doesn't mean that it ignores to the benefit of Democrats up and down the ticket.
0: What about in Georgia? Georgia is such a swing state, and it's very easy for us. We, you know, we live in the metro Atlanta area. You're a little bit more in the Sandy Springs Buckhead, but I'm talking about women who are, like, out in Winder, women who are in South Georgia, women who are in North Georgia and with a Marjorie Taylor Greene district. These ladies, do you think it is possible to move the needle with some of these women?
1: I think some of these women are already there. I mean, I've got some of my best friends live in South Georgia. And um, but I will say this is that the social pressure down there, um, whether it's at their church or their kids, friends or whatever, is that they keep their support of Joe Biden or Democrats really on the down low and they never comment on Trump because that is such kind of a lightning rod with people because people seem to really like him in a way that goes beyond just liking a politician. It's a cult. Cultish. You know? I'm
0: going to call it a cult. First of all, I love cults. It's one of my favorite <laughs> topics. Talk about cults all day long. That'll be another one of our podcasts coming up. We just talk about crazy cults because I'm into it. But some of the behavior that I see with certain Trump support reminds me of what I hear of people that, you know, like one in particular, there's a documentary on HBO called The Vow, which is about the Nexium cult, which turned into a sex cult. It's crazy. You would love it. It's right up your alley. (laughs) but these people literally they can't they're so under the spell of this so i really think for some of them like this one lady this one clip of this lady i mean and i want and when you hear it she's got american flags behind her i mean she's she's it's you know all the trump signs and everything i mean it's on another level
2: i think that they're blatantly wrong with all due respect I think Donald Trump has done an amazing
0: job from day one, an amazing job through the pandemic. No, he
2: did not cause the pandemic. So when he says it is not my responsibility, I did not cause this. That is correct. No one could have done a better job, in my opinion. No one. No one. So
0: we're seeing polls and the polls are still kind of close. I mean, are people not telling the truth? Because I I feel like after 2016, I can't believe anybody anymore.
1: Look, I don't. I don't believe polls, really. I like them. They they kind of help in terms of giving you an indication one way or the other. But at the end of the day, think about it. Most polls are done on landlines. It is very difficult to get an appropriate sample um, in terms of just using landlines. Also, I know how I am. I never answer my phone if I don't know what the number is or I know who's calling so a lot of people are like that so to be able to get a really accurate poll is difficult I'll have to say that but you know there's this whole idea that people may not be telling pollsters they're going to support Trump and and so they're calling them the shy Trump supporters I don't think I've ever met a shy Trump supporter (laughs) I don't know about you but they are like the opposite of shy what is it with the boat
0: I don't get the Trump boat. That is, it is, the it's so aggressive. Uh, anyway, that's another category for another day. But I think you're absolutely right. Have you ever gotten a poll call?
1: No, I Me haven't. Either. But maybe because I'm not answering my phone.
0: I answer <laughs> my phone all the time because I like to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> but, I have never received one. And by the way, and I would call it, please tweet us at Senator Jen at Mara Davis or email us voteherpodcast at gmail.com if you've been ever called by a pollster, because I'm really curious to know what that's like. I think people can be swayed in how they talk to you on the phone as well.
1: No, and those are called push polls where they're not really trying to find out how you feel or how you're going to vote. They're really trying to characterize the opposition in a way. It's kind of like what I think we talked about it in terms of some of the other questions that you've had on some of your surveys. It's kind of like if you knew that that Mara was a felon and hated puppies and kittens, uh, would you still vote for her? Right. You know, it's that kind of thing where it's really just them trying to paint a picture. And a lot of times it's inaccurate, but people kind of pick up on, you know, what you're, what you're putting down. Totally. I could be swayed if somebody asked me something
0: the right way and I didn't have time to think about it. Or if I'm going in to vote and there's like, would you vote yes or no or something? And I'm like, I don't know. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a problem. But there are the polls where it's just automated, right? It's like vote
1: one for Biden, vote press one for Biden, two for Trump. There are. And there are a lot of people are doing Internet polls, too. What I would say to anybody who's listening to us is participate in them, because really it is good data for whomever it is. And a lot of people, these are these are organizations that really are just trying to figure out what's happening Um, you know, in our state and in our country. Well, we're trying to figure
0: out uh, suburban women. I mean, even we are suburban women, but we want to talk to more of them. Our next guest is a suburban woman, but also an activist.
1: Look, I think we both wanted to get different voices on this podcast. And this woman immediately came to mind because she's been really on point, in my opinion, um, on Twitter. So we're going to talk to Carla Jacobs. She is a native Georgian whose many roles include freelance writer, soccer mom, and community volunteer. Governor Deal appointed her to the Georgia Commission on Women in 2012 and then reappointed her in 16 and 18. And she's a lifelong Republican or has been until now. And let's see kind of where she is. I think you get the sense that she may be wanting to burn it all down. Carla is on the line.
0: Carla, welcome to the Vote Her podcast. Uh, We've both been kind of really fascinated with your take on being a lifelong Republican. And suddenly you've changed course. Can you get into a little
2: bit of what brought that on? I'm sure I'll be glad to. Thanks for having me. It's great to um, get to spend a little time with you guys today. My political, I guess, how I've kind of moved through a politics since uh, 1988 when I turned 18 and voted in my very first presidential election, um, which I voted for, George H.W. Bush, is changing. So it's kind of evolved over time. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was a new voter in college, politics were different in Georgia. The conservatives tended to be Democrats, and I tended to vote Democrat at the state and local level, and then Republican at the national level. And So all of that kind of shifted in the mid-90s, at least in Georgia politics. But I always considered myself a conservative, but a conservative independent. And so, you know, I left the state for a little while. I was in Texas. I was in North Carolina. And I continued kind of that same pattern of, you know, Democrat at the state and local level until, you know, things started shifting in those states as well. But in 2010, when uh, Nathan Deal first ran for governor of Georgia, I actually put down stakes and became a Republican. So I worked on his campaign. The deals are old family friends. My parents and Sandra and Nathan were good friends. Nathan was my mom and dad's Sunday school teacher. His two oldest children were, you know, two of my best friends in high school. So there's a lot of you know family going on there. But I did join the Republican Party. I manned the phones. I went to the state fair and handed out stickers at the state fair and phone banks and stuff like that. So uh, and I did host a couple of events for Governor Deal during that that first run. So I considered myself a Republican, and throughout that that time, I had always voted Republican in the presidential election all the way through until 2016. And then when, you know, I watched in horror <laughs> as the, uh, the primary went forward in, you know, 2016 and seeing what happened there— and when the Republicans nominated Donald Trump for president, I was done. And so, you know, I formally left the party. You know, in Georgia, you don't have to declare a, right. um, a, a position. So, you know, I didn't have the satisfaction of tearing up my voter card that had Republican on it. But for all intents and purposes, I'm out of the party. And I voted for Evan McMullen. I went third party in 2016 I just couldn't make that leap
1: (laughs) he was out of Utah right Evan was yeah yeah for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Georgia politics just like Carla was saying really Democrats held all of the roles up and down kind of state government Um, At the local level, it was Democratic elected officials um, at the state level, whether it's the state house or the state Senate, and then the governor and also all the constitutional officers. And then that switched.
2: Yeah, probably around the mid to late 90s is when that switched. I I was out of the state. But, you know, I know watching it, even from other southern states, the same thing was happening. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then it really kind of came to a head when um, Roy Barnes was defeated Yeah, by Sonny Perdue. But also what's interesting about Governor Deal and kind of talking about thinking of yourself more as a conservative independent is that Governor Deal was a Democrat for at least 50 percent of his political life. And so he's kind of been on both sides of the aisle.
2: Yes, he. I actually worked on his campaign stuffing envelopes in 1992. Uh, I was home for, I guess, six weeks, getting prepared for my wedding, and just to get away from wedding planning, I was, you know, going to his office and help, you know, stuff envelopes and whatever they needed me to do on his very first congressional campaign. And uh, he was a Democrat at that point, so I don't think he switched affiliation until maybe 94 96 somewhere in there.
1: yeah it may have been after you know when Clinton was president and there was the big budget vote I don't know if you yeah. remember that um, a lot of people got defeated in 94 um, because of that a lot of a lot of Democrats in Georgia so you know that's kind of interesting that that he didn't switch until that point
0: right well and then you saw there's been crossover like Zell Miller who crossed over from being a Democrat to a Republican too
1: yeah right that feels less nathan deal and more just zell doing zell you know <laughs> challenging people yeah. to duels yeah that was a little you know
0: that was a little that was a lot that's still one of my favorite things may he rest in peace by yeah the way. no he yeah. did he did a lot for yes no carla you being a lifelong ish Republican and working on a Republican campaign in 2016, you basically said you couldn't do it anymore. Obviously, you must have a lot of friends who are Republican women, too. Can we talk a little bit about how you're talking about this election and what this election means to Republican women, a.k.a. suburban voters?
2: There was a lot of feeling going back to 2016. It was a gut punch. Um, to have the Republicans choose Donald Trump. For a lot of us, it was, you know, we always believed that, you know, even though there weren't as many Republican women in office, we always felt like that the men who were in office could represent us because they cared about, you know, our issues. And then, you know, when the Access Hollywood tape came out, and so many Republican men just blew it off as it's just like a ring talk.
1: That was hard.
2: All men talk like this. And I'm thinking, you know, my daddy didn't talk like that, my husband does not talk like that. My son better the heck not talk like that. It it just it felt like a betrayal, really. Just to have and a slap in the face that, you know, this man is gonna say that he's entitled to do these things and we're just gonna because of politics laugh it off and so you know a lot of women that I knew who were in Republican politics either uh, left their presidential race blank in 2016 or they voted third party like I did or they wrote in somebody and you know That's kind of where we were then. Um, Things have changed a little bit between then and now. Um, You know, some of my friends who were Republicans and were dead set against Donald Trump have come into the camp and want Republican policies to continue. And some are like me. They're still staunch. You know, I'm I'm never Trump. I will be never Trump forever. I've also talked to friends who are not, very plugged into politics, who voted for Trump in 2016, but he will not vote for him in 2020. And they'll say things to me like, you know, I voted for Trump because I couldn't vote for her. Um, you know, I won't say Hillary's name like Voldemort or something. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, if with her not on the ballot you know, they feel more comfortable, maybe even stepping up and voting for Biden. Um, You know, I haven't, I've been really isolated since the quarantine. You know, I'm not out at school events, chatting with the parents of my kids' friends or lunching with my girls or or like that. So I'm just kind of having to kind of take the temperature from, you know, what what I'm seeing on social media and, and what's being posted on. Facebook and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of these folks don't like to talk politics.
1: You know, one thing that I was surprised about from 2016 to present day is how many um, Republicans who were really anti-Trump, never Trumpers, how they really have gotten kind of into the fold. Um, And I don't know. How do you feel about that?
2: Well, it it was shocking um, to me. And I've had to kind of wrap my brain around that a little bit. Some of it, some of it honestly has been cultural war type of things that have driven uh, women that were dead set against Trump in 2016, you know, into the Republican camp this time around. Uh, I don't know that Democrats really understand how radicalizing the Kavanaugh hearings were and just the way, you know, he was treated. I know that that was a turning point for a lot of women who were, you know, staunch, never Trumpers. It became a us versus the Democrats kind of thing. Mm. And so it's more of a tribal, not really party loyalty, but just, you know, I think those people, in quotes, are going to come after people like me because of what I believe.
0: That's really interesting. It's interesting that you say that Kavanaugh was a tipping point because... So, they, a lot of these women were on Team Kavanaugh. Right. They, right. They felt like that he was sort of railroaded.
2: They did. They did. And they see in him, they see their sons, they see their husbands, they see, you know, if this could happen to him at this, you know, pinnacle of his career, it could happen to one of us. And we would, you know, our our people wouldn't have the power to fight it.
1: Yeah, that that's really fascinating to me. I mean, just because how women would would kind of go with that versus, you know, seeing the victim and kind of thinking that they could they could have been a victim, right? It's it's really more they saw Kavanaugh as the victim, it sounds like.
2: Right, right. And you know, I don't I don't know that the evidence they had that um, Dr. Blasey Ford had was compelling. You know, her corroborating witnesses didn't corroborate her story. There just wasn't a lot there that people could really say, yes, this is exactly what happened to her at this point, which is why I think the camps broke the way they did and why it was such a radicalizing event, you know, for for conservative women who, who maybe weren't in the Trump camp.
0: Well, I think it's interesting on two levels. One, you know, I felt for girls so much, and it's so funny how so many people process that through a different lens. So that's why yeah. I, I'm glad to hear your perspective it, from you and from your friends, Carla. But it is something I don't think the Democrats have done a great job at. As someone like you are a lifelong-ish Republican, um, and this, Kavanaugh was really just a conservative judge like roe v wade it was a much bigger picture than just oh this thing happened you know could elect you know nominating a supreme court judge so what can democrats do better to court some of those women who you discussed who felt you know who may feel hey i'm pro-life and what are the democrats gonna do to to make me feel accepted here
2: Uh, that's a great question I think there's things that we can do, the the thing that is so hard about the abortion issue is, you know, number one, it's a deeply personal issue. It gets really deep down into, you know, your, your basic beliefs. And uh, it's hard, I think, for people to talk about it. Uh, I don't have a lot of conversations with my friends about abortion. You know, I don't, unless someone is really into talking about politics, which a lot of my friends are not. You know, I don't even know where most of them stand on the abortion issue. But I do know for those that it's important, it's a driving reason, you know, why they would choose to vote for Trump over Biden. And I think a lot of it and I'm seeing it being more polarizing right now because I really feel like the the rhetoric that we're hearing um, in the media, in social media has really, I guess, gotten more extreme. I, you know, I think most of the, the people, at least from the studies I've seen, are pretty mushy in the middle you yeah, know, when it comes to right. how they feel, feel about abortion. But then, you know, they see something like Shout Your Abortion, you know, the, the Shout Your Abortion movement that was going for a while. They see, you know, the, the candidates, the Democratic presidential candidates pulling back from supporting the Hyde Amendment. And things like that. And that makes them feel like maybe the Democrats are hardening around making abortion more available and, and making and trying to, I guess, grow the abortion rate. Because I think most people don't realize that the abortion rate is the lowest it's been. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it really is. Since like 1981. It, it's declined steadily. It's declined through Reagan's presidency, and H.W. Bush, and Clinton, and George W. Bush, and Obama, and Trump. It's been declining uh, through Republican administrations and Democratic administrations. I think most people don't realize that, and I don't know that we've done a really good job of talking about that. But I really would love to see Democrats and Republicans, the the pro-choice and the pro-life, the folks of us who are you know, not on the fringes, to talk about, okay, well, we disagree on, you know, whether abortion should be legal. What can we do together to reduce the need for abortions? How can we support women who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant? How can we support women who choose life after the birth of their child? You know, I would love to see us expand Medicaid coverage. new mothers through the first year. I know the state legislature expanded it for, I think it was like, what, eight weeks before? And now it's six months, which is a great victory. I'd love to see them add six more months for that. And I'd love to see, particularly at the presidential level, I think Biden, if he wants to court these voters, he really needs to renew his commitment to the Hyde Amendment. I think that's really important. And I think that that is something that has, I think, scared pro-life voters away a little bit. And I'd also love to see us make space in our political conversation for conscientious objectors, you know, like the little sisters of the poor, you know, those kind of folks hobby lobby and give them a little a little more space to to live out their pro-life ethos uh, without. You know, getting, um, I guess, harassed, probably not the right word, but by the federal government.
0: Well, I think it's, you know, again, it, it, it's so much the culture wars. And I think, you know, what you said is a great point, how the abortion rate is low. But, uh, you know, obviously choice and pro-life and, and pro-choice is, is, is such a wedge issue that I think gets brought up by Republicans all the time because it is a way to polarize women and a way to polarize people. But I do think something that you said in there was very important. And then is to try to find legislation to try and bring people together um, instead of just saying, I'm going to be on one side of the room and you're going to be on the other side of the room.
1: No, and I completely agree with you, Carla. I filed a bill this year actually to cover mothers and expand Medicaid for that year because of the maternal mortality rate in Georgia is just abysmal. And what we know is during that year... Um, mamas need access to healthcare, just like babies do.
2: They do, and oftentimes things don't manifest until after that six-month period. Like you know, postpartum depression. You just need support during that first year of your child's life because you know there's weird things happening to your body, and now you've got this little person that you're suddenly completely and totally responsible for. who can't live unless you you know, nurture it and take care of it. And it's, it's, it's a lot. And we need, we need more support for that. And we, you know, we need, we just need to make sure that we're supporting the family formation.
0: Okay. So now you're going to be at a zoom call with all your friends at a book club. I know you like books, Carla, because we talked about it. I do it. like books. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> And what are you going to tell your uh, for the crowd that are pro uh, Trump or Republicans? What do you say to them? Why you're voting for uh, Joe Biden this time around?
2: Well, I mostly talk about um, that. I you know I want to see competence and decency come back to the White House, and you know that raises um, a lot of hackles there. And (laughs) (laughs) but I really don't feel that. I feel like we need someone in the Oval Office who can um, model civility, who can call us to our better angels, particularly in this moment right now. I know we haven't talked about Black Lives Matter and the, the protests over the summer, but I really feel like we are at an inflection point with that because I feel like the message is starting to penetrate the bubble of the resistance to, you know, that whole idea that, yes, we still have racism. Yes, there's things that we need to address. And I think people are starting to get that. And I feel like with a Joe Biden presidency with an even hand, you know, on the keel and, and taking, taking a more compassionate approach to governing, I feel like we can make some progress there. I feel like President Trump does a lot of pouring fuel on the fire and soaking fears and soaking rage and soaking just general divisiveness. And I'm just kinda of tired of that. And I'm looking for I, I just I, I just want a break. I just want yeah, I want a normal too, <laughs> a normal grown up person in the Oval Office who's, you know, not gonna not going to call our worst, you know, tribal stuff to the surface.
0: Well, Carla, we're relying on you, suburban woman. <laughs> 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 Carla with the K, Carla Jacobs, um worked with Governor Deal, uh, Georgia Commission on Women, and um you do a lot of great work with with uh sex trafficking, anti-sex trafficking. So thank you for your hard work with that. And uh thanks for giving us some time today. Yeah. Just thank you for
1: being open.
2: Oh, I'm always glad to. I, I love to, I just love to talk about this stuff, especially to talk about it with people who don't necessarily have the same needs that I do. And I think we need a lot more of that. We need to just be willing to sit down and put our differences aside, put the put the really polarizing issues aside and just jump into those things that we can agree on
1: a hundred percent agreed
2: and i really appreciate y'all having me today
0: well we're all on the same page with that everybody follow carla on twitter it is carla with the k c jacobs and let's just see what happens with those suburban women it will be interesting great to talk to you that was good to talk to carla uh jen quite a quite a lot of um issues we discussed there.
1: I was kind of surprised at the Kavanaugh thing in terms of how yeah. it was so it clearly was kind of a, a point where a lot of women a lot of Republican women kind of decided to to go with Trump. I'm still kind of I'm still kind of chewing on that a little bit.
0: Certainly I feel the same way with that because well, I mean, the Kavanaugh thing is, is is something like in a weird way I understand what she was saying because I think people had very it was so there was so much fire in that. But I had the opposite feeling. I felt Christine Blasey Ford like I was like it brought myself back to high school and I know that like most victims of sexual assault you can always remember where you were, or what time it was. You, you, you sometimes you block out details. So I think but I also think it's great that we heard a perspective on that, that maybe we hadn't listened to.
1: No, look, it goes back to who do you relate to the most. When I do trial work, it's what you do with juries. Yeah. It's like, do you relate to the hurt person, the victim, or do you relate to the defendant? And almost always, whichever one that is, that that's where you're going to land at the end of a trial. And so it looks like voting's about the same way. Yep. All right, it is time
0: for our Sure Jan of the Week. Sure Jan. Sure Jan. Sure Jan. Okay, this one goes with President Trump was on an environmental panel uh, talking about climate
1: change. In California, we're currently, or I should say on the West Coast, where the West Coast is currently on fire.
0: Do you view that differently when the trees are dead and the whole area, because I know the beetle kill has been terrible. Yes. So do you view that differently? And now you're going to be clearing it or doing whatever you're going to 100, do.
2: 163 million. So it's, yeah. uh, boy, it's a no, it's hell something. of a job, right? To, to start clearing that out. Yeah. So we but those
0: flammable. trees are dead and therefore they're very flammable. They're explosive. They are. They are. Yeah,
1: well, from our perspective, there's, there is amazing partnership on the ground and there needs to be Uh, As the governor said, we've had temperatures explode this summer. Uh, You may have learned that we broke a world record in the Death Valley, 130 degrees. But even in greater LA, 120 plus degrees. And we're seeing this warming trend make our summers warmer, but also our winters warmer as well. So I think one area of mutual agreement and priority is vegetation management. But I think we want to work with you to really recognize the changing climate and what it means to our forests and actually work together with that science. That science is going to be key. Because if we if we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians.
0: Okay. It'll start getting cooler.
1: <laughs> I you, wish, just,
0: you just watch.
1: I wish science agreed
0: <laughs> with you. Hey, well, I don't think science knows, actually. Sure, Jan, it's not going away. I mean... Th- I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you got to give it to these scientists who are basically, they were not afraid to kind of sure jan him.
1: <laughs> well, it kind of felt very much like, you know, when he said, when he talked about COVID and he said in just one day magically it's going to disappear. And it's almost like, that's how he feels about climate change. He was like, you know, it's going to get cooler. It's like, are you talking about winter? Like, what are you talking about? It's unbelievable.
0: Uh, So let's keep in mind, this is real. Let's do what we can. And that brings us to our cause of the week in a weird way. This is Patagonia. I had seen Anna Navarro, the great commentator. She's on The View and she's on CNN a lot. And she's now working for the Biden campaign. And she tweeted out this label of a Patagonia label that said, vote the assholes out. And it was floating around on social media. I think you even tweeted it out, Jen. I did,
1: but I had to check to make sure it was real. Because <laughs> it's the kind of thing where like somebody could doctor a picture and it's kind of, it's so outrageous or kind of funny that people just tweet it out without checking. So I was like, okay, let me research this. Is this real? So I
0: happen to be in Patagonia, Buckhead, Georgia, Buckhead, Atlanta. I went
1: by Mara's this. doing on-the-ground <laughs> research specifically for the podcast. So I go over there and...
0: Number one, it's curbside only, which I was fascinated by how they don't like because a lot of the retail is now open and you wear a mask and you can do whatever you do, but not Patagonia. They're really taking this seriously. And so I'm there and I'm waving and a young gal comes out and I was like, I'm, I want to ask about this label. And she was like, Yes, it's in fact true. Would you like to see it? <laughs> and so of course I'm like, Please bring it up. So she brings it out. It was a pair of men's shorts. It's not on all the labels. It's just on some of them. But Patagonia is really doing a lot to make a plan to vote. It's on their website. You don't have to buy anything, even though I love this so much. I did buy a jacket immediately and they want you to make your plan to vote they have an uh, initiative about public lands in America, and they've always been, like, very environmentally conscious. Well, and they're
1: pushing people to vote against anybody who's a climate denier. Yes. And, and basically what the head of the company has said is that this isn't partisan. This really is. Right. If, if an elected official or someone running for office is a climate denier and, and isn't listening to the scientists, then you need to vote them out. Right. Or vote the assholes out. And what's so interesting
0: about that is I, I took, they give out these stickers at Patagonia that say vote the assholes out. And I put a picture of myself on Instagram, Mary Davis 2000, please give me a follow. <laughs> um, and most people were very supportive of it, but I had some cr- really crazy people saying, how dare you get political? And, you know, I some of them I wondered if they were bots or not, Jen, but then I, like, always, like, if I have a hater, you know, I love to engage a hater. It's, like, my favorite thing. <laughs> to say, because I had said, Voting is patriotic. It's not political. Like, I'm just telling you to vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm
1: just saying... Right. It's not our problem that you think that the asshole is your party,
0: (laughs) right? right? Exactly. It's not what I said. You're
1: projecting. It is not
0: what I said. That's
1: actually maybe one of the more interesting things is when people assume that you're talking about them or or who they support. Right. So I was really fascinated by that.
0: But anyway, uh, I love how Patagonia is encouraging people to vote. And in upcoming episodes, we're going to talk about more companies that are really getting involved in this as far as giving people the day off to vote, giving the people the day off to volunteer to work the polls. This is
1: very exciting. Right. Paying them to be poll workers or, you know, to kind of invest their time or their efforts in some way to kind of help with the process. I mean, we've we've never seen anything like this before. Well, we're going to keep talking to you on the Vote Her Podcast.
0: Please send us your feedback, and that is voteherpodcast at gmail.com. I will answer your emails. We've actually got some listener feedback from Jenny Shover and Frank Roshi. I hope I said your name right. Frank wants us to start a Twitter account, and I'm a little exhausted. We're going to do it. It'll happen. Does somebody want to be our intern?
1: Yeah, not me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But follow Jen at Senator Jen. Follow me at Mara Davis. Thanks to Terminus Records for providing the music for our show. And thanks to Christina Loringer for producing and editing. All right. A lot of info today. Vote her podcast. We'll talk to you next
1: week. Have a good one, y'all.